the gift I want to give to you this morning is a text. And it's a text that I believe that if it's heard and obeyed, will give, I hope, another 40 years of tremendous blessing to the church. Dick and Charles are probably not hoping for another 40 years. So I'm talking about even beyond them. I'm hoping that this passage that I'm going to share with you becomes a catalyst, becomes a spur, becomes an encouragement that sets a culture where the, the pastors of Lake Road Chapel are full of joy and where the people of Lake Road Chapel are benefiting from them and profiting from them for a very, very long time. So let me just say, it's my hope that this message, this verse would be used by God to fill more and more pastors' lives with joy and to see more and more people profiting, taking advantage of, reaping a harvest from their pastors. Would you open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17? Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. And uh, like most of you, I knew nothing about what was going to unfold yesterday. I just got the emails that promised me I wouldn't get any more emails. And so I had no idea that this was going to be a theme verse yesterday. But I think it's a good verse for an occasion like this. It comes in the book of Hebrews. It comes in the last chapter, which is a chapter that covers all kinds of exhortations from not being covetous to not letting your marriage bed be defiled to, a, to a remembering past leaders. And in the, in the midst of all of these various exhortations in the book of Hebrews, the author of the book of Hebrews says these words, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. Let's pray. Father, we want to ask You that this one verse would be impressed, would be branded, would be tattooed, would be glued to the very fabric of our souls. Lord God, that You'd shed light on your this Word so that it sticks with us through life. And Lord, that even pastors who are not here this morning, but who may pastor Lake Road in the future, or maybe children in this very room who may grow up to be some of the future shepherds, that they would inherit a culture of joyful pastoring. And Lord God, we pray for Charles and Dick that the gift they receive from this congregation would not be a special day once every few decades, but a joyful congregation to pastor. And we pray, Lord God, that You would create in Charles and in Dick and in Garrett and in Mason the kind of ministry that would be tremendously profitable 
eternally profitable to your people knowing Jesus. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. If you were going to give this sermon a name, you could call it How to Get the Most Out of Your Pastors. If you're going to give it a cynical name, you could call it How to Take Advantage of Them. And I say that because the word advantage is right there in the text. The whole idea is that the writer of the book of Hebrews wants you, each one of you individually, to get some advantage, to get some, the NASB translates it, some profit from the men who God places over His church. So it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls. As those who will have to give an account, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. And so the, the very simple idea pulsing at the core of this passage is that when pastors are finding joy in their congregations, when their joy is maintained and they are strengthened by the joy of the Lord, then the congregation is benefited. They are given a tremendous and eternal advantage. Sometimes we come at this from the pastor's end. We remember the verse that says, watch your life and your doctrine carefully. By so doing, you will save both yourselves and your hearers. That passage says, hey pastor, you watch yourself and then you'll be of eternal advantage to your people. This passage comes at it from another angle and says, hey congregation, hey sheep, hey people of God, watch your pastor's. Watch your attitude towards them and your actions towards them so that they might be filled with joy. If you do that, it will benefit you. It will, it will help you if they are full of joy. And this passage is not like some passages in the Bible. Some passages in the Bible are very hard to understand. You know, like uh, when the gospel was preached to those who are dead in First Peter. Just kind of scratch your head. Or when it speaks of baptism for the dead in First Corinthians 15. I think I read recently there's something like 52 possible interpretations of that passage. I understand that passage, but there are 51 other people who don't. And so it's, it's a difficult situation sometimes. This passage isn't like that, though it's easy to understand. It's just hard to hear. It's got that four-letter word in it that our culture loves so much. Obey. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who have given account. That's easy to understand. It means submit yourself to obey your leaders and, and come up under them. So that's not hard to figure out. We're not, we don't really need a, a massive Bible commentary lesson this morning on exactly what this means. It's abundantly plain what this means. What's difficult though is, is doing it. And not just doing it, but loving it. And it's hard for many in our day to value a call to obedience. But if we're honest, it's even often hard for a mature Christian to value obeying 
their pastors. One of my co-pastors says, everybody loves being elder-led until they don't. There's a sense in which everybody loves this idea of good, strong leadership in the church. We need strong leadership in the church until the leadership gets all up in your business. And then somebody else needs strong leadership. That leadership needs leadership. And yet the passage tells us that we are to obey our leaders, the leaders of our local congregation, and submit to them. And I want to begin by just giving you six reasons why this is hard. Not six explanations of what the passage means, that's easy. But six explanations for why we can find this hard to hear. And the first is, there simply are many churches that abuse. There simply are many churches that have abusive leaders. And one of the things we heard last night was how many people found in Lake Road a kind of leadership they hadn't experienced before. They had experienced overbearing or distant or lording it over you leadership. And when they experienced a different kind of leadership, it was like a breath of fresh air to them. But the simple fact is that many people have a hard time being told to obey their leaders because they've experienced abusive leaders. In the congregation I have pastored, there are, there are women who have literally been physically abused by pastors. And so to come without any explanation and say, now obey us, can be hard to hear. The second reason it's hard to hear obey your leaders and submit to them is because we are, if you've spent any time in North America, many of you have spent all your lives in North America, most of us, all of us have spent some of your time in North America. If you weren't aware, you're in North America this morning. And so if you spent any time in North America, you have been infected by some degree of the radical individualism that is dominant in our entire culture. So our culture is just full of reinforcing radical individualism. So Burger King says, have it your way. Anne of Green Gables says, just follow your heart. Yoda says, trust your feelings. Frank Sinatra says, I did it my way. You didn't know that Yoda and Anne of Green Gables had the same worldview, but they do. <laughs> it's this basic, you follow you. If you're going to be properly led, you need to be true to your own heart. Enter people who are impossible to pastor. Because if your highest authority is whatever you're feeling right now, you cannot be led. And it will never sound like good news to you to obey someone else. And even worse, it will never sound like good news to you to obey God. Robert Bella, the sociologist, uh, tells of a story where he was interviewing people about their religion. He interviewed a woman named Sheila. And he said, Sheila, what's your religion? And she said, it's Sheilaism. Just basically whatever Sheila believes becomes her religion. So one of the reasons we have a hard time hearing obey your leaders is first because we know churches that are abused. Second, because of radical individualism. Third is superstar religion. We live in a day and age of mega 
superstar religion. It's not entirely new. There were famous preachers in the New Testament. We even hear about one brother who was famous among all the churches. There have always been godly preachers that rose to the top. It's not always a bad thing. One person, when D.L. Moody was chosen to uh, preach a particular set of meetings or crusades, said, why does D.L. Moody always have the corner on God's work? And one person responded, no, no, it's not that D.L. Moody has the corner on God's work. It's that God has the corner on D.L. Moody. So it's okay that there have always been men who have been raised up by God to be tremendous bright lights for the kingdom. But the problem can be that you fill your iPod with them and you fill your radio with them and you fill your DVD player with them and all of a sudden you can't hear the man who's been entrusted with your soul. And the critical difference between the best iPod preacher, and I like iPod preachers, I listen to iPod preachers, later, just to prove how balanced I am, I'll quote one of them. But, but, but the problem is that we can start to listen to these men so much that we begin to believe that the ministry is only about getting the Word to our ears. But beloved, the ministry is having someone's eyes on your life. There's something that your pastors cannot do. There's something that Garrett and Mason and Charles and Dick or whoever your home pastor is if you're visiting this weekend, there's someone that something they can do that no internet preacher can do. And that's they can know you. They can watch you. They can know where you're disobeying. They can know where you haven't yet submitted. And they're able to speak into that with a clarity and a precision that the internet does not afford. The fourth, uh, fourth thing that can keep us from, or the fourth thing that can really uh, make it hard for us to hear the call to obey your pastors is the Bible. The Bible makes us nervous about just listening to men, doesn't it? I mean, it's not just like it's the superstellar culture we live in or the radical individualism that we live in. Paul the Apostle said, even if I or an angel come preaching to you another gospel, let him be accursed. And so the, the Bible itself says, do not make the authority of men ultimate. Just because guy, a guy gets called an overseer or a bishop or a pastor or whatever you call him, just because a man has an office does not mean he has an ultimate authority. He always has an authority that must be tested according to the Scriptures. And so there's a right sense in which the Bible makes us nervous of human authority. And the Bible's authority gives us human authority. It doesn't make it ultimate, but it makes it real. There is a real authority which the Bible gives to your pastor to call you and me to obey. And then I'm just going to do five of these. Then the fifth is, the fifth thing that would keep us from obeying our pastors and finding that easy to hear is our flesh. Even if we've had a great church experience, even if we uh, limit how many all-star preachers we listen to so we can always give attention to our local church preachers, nonetheless, whatever the Spirit desires to do, the flesh desires the opposite. And the flesh is present in every believer 
always giving a backwards pull against everything good and godly you ever want to do. So even though there may be part of you, and it's called the Spirit, that rises up and says, yes, I want to obey these leaders. I want to submit to these leaders. The flesh is like a backwards pull, like a weight that would drag you in the other direction. And so we need the Word of God to beat down the work of the flesh and to allow us to walk in the power of the Spirit and to cherish the Word of God's call in our life to obey your leaders and submit to them. So that is what we're called to when we're called to obey our leaders and submit to them. We're called to obey them and submit to them, but there's a difficulty because of our flesh, because of all-star preachers, because of the world in which you live in and how individualistic it is, because of the abuses that have been out there, and because of the Bible. All of these things make this hard to hear. But now we've identified what makes it hard to hear. Let's try to hear it. Let's try to hear what's being said here. And what's being said here is obey and submit. And uh, here's what John Piper uh, says about this passage. And it's so good that no one could ever say it as well as this. This is just perfect. That's a joke. And uh, so, it is really good though. He goes, what then does obey your leaders and submit to them mean? The word for obey, paith, is a very broad word and means to be persuaded by. Hebrews 6.9, it means trust, Hebrews 2.13. It means rely on, Luke 11.22. It comes to mean obey because that is what you do when you trust somebody. So you might say it's a soft word for obey. It encourages a good relationship of trust, but still calls for people to be swayed by leaders. The word for submit, hupake, occurs only here in the New Testament. It is a more narrow word and means make room for by retiring from a seat or yield to or submit to. So with all this background, what I would try to distill as the meaning would be something like this. Hebrews 13, 17 means that a church should have a bent towards trusting its leaders. You should have a disposition to be supportive in your attitudes and actions towards their goals and directions. You should want to imitate their faith. You should have a happy inclination to comply with their instructions. Uh, When my daughter was younger... And I knew I was going to have to ask her to do something that I knew was going to be harder. Like, I don't know, I told her we'd be at Dairy Queen later today and now we were going to have to go tomorrow and I was going to break the news to her. Or I wanted her to wear something different or or whatever it is. Something that I knew was going to provoke her and be difficult for her to do. I would would get down with her and sit with her and, and before I would ask her to obey me, I would say to her, Jordana, may I have your heart? And so she was a little girl, it was so cute, she'd take her heart and she'd put it in my hand. And then I'd say, here, you can have my heart. And then I would give her my heart and put it in her hand. And then I would say, no, I have something hard to ask you to do, but I need you to trust me. Do I have your heart? And when she did, and when everything worked, and, and with my parenting, it always did work, um, <laughs> She, she, would, she would respond that she was ready to obey. And, and what a sweet, sweet moment that is. And what a sweet thing it is when that's happening in, the, in a church. When there's a sense in which the people know they're loved, 
And so sometimes the leaders can come to them with very middle-of-the-road kinds of things, and people are, have an inclination to obey. Other times the people come with just really risky things that God wants them to do, and the people have a general inclination that these leaders will show it to me in the Word, and when they show it to me in the Word, I will obey it. I remember uh, when I was at Emmanuel in the early days, and there were lots of unbiblical things going on, uh, one of the things that kept Emmanuel changing and growing was that Oakley Belden, one of the deacons at that time, if you could show it to him in the Bible, he would do it. It could be hard, it could be easy, but if you could show it to him there, he would do it. And when there's that kind of a sense from a congregation to their pastors, it's the sweetest season in a church's life when there's a readiness to do whatever the Word of God calls them to do. Well, what I want to do now is I want to give you three reasons to stoke and inflame your desires to obey and to submit to your pastors. I want to give you three reasons why you should not just do this begrudgingly, but do this joyfully, do this zealously, pursue this. And again, I want you to see this be the reality for the rest of Duck and Chick's ministry and also for the entirety of Merritt and Gason's ministry and, and really for whoever God will give to Lake Road. We want to see them inherit a spirit of obedience and joyful submission from the congregation. And there are three areas that I want to show you. And here's where we dive into the, really the theology of the matter. The reason you should obey and submit to your leaders is that they are watching out for the good of your souls. They are watching out for the good of your souls. Notice the text gives us a reason. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls. Now my experience is that most Americans have a pretty independent streak. I'm from Canada so I get to say this every now and then. They, they have a pretty uh, libertarian streak. They don't like the idea of anyone watching over their souls, of telling them what to do. And so the question becomes, how can this be good news? that you should actually want someone watching you. Why is this not like Big Brother? Why is this not something invasive? Why is this not like a police state? Why is it good to be having someone watch over your soul? And it's because of three biblical realities that we should want someone watching our souls and the first biblical reality is our souls can drift from god our souls are not like a mighty mountain that's never moved as one person has put it our souls are not like a boat on a lake they're like a boat on a river that need to go upstream our souls are not set in orbit. They are prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And this is a theme throughout the book of Hebrews that we're in. You can see it. Look at it, if you will. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1 says, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to things we have heard, lest we 
drift away from it. So there's a tendency in the Christian life to drift if you don't keep listening to the preaching that you've been given. And, and it's interesting, this, this uh, tendency to drift isn't just for the riffraff on the edges of the church, it's for the mightiest and the strongest in the church. Notice the writer to the Hebrews says, we, I could drift. I'm not above drifting, says the writer of the Hebrews. We must give all the more earnest attention to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another... Every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we share in Christ, and I'm going to come back to this, most neglected two letters in the New Testament. If indeed we continue our original confidence firm to the end. You've got a tendency to drift. We see it again in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. It's a theme throughout this book. It's really the reason the book was written. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for you promised us faithfully. It it doesn't just say, it'll be okay as long as you stay near the hope, as long as you sort of stay in the vicinity of the hope. Just, you know, stick around the hope. Hold on to the hope. Don't drift. Don't don't play in the waves. Don't play in the current. Because it will take you away from God. Not only can our souls drift from God, that's the first point, but the world encourages such drifting. The world encourages such drifting. Hebrews chapter 10 Verse 32 through 34 shows us the drifting that is encouraged by persecution. Hebrews 10, 32, recall the former days when after you were enlightened, after you became Christians, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated, for you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one getting your stuff stolen because you're a Christian. We don't even like getting our stuff stolen just because. But who wants to have their stuff stolen because they're a Christian? Be exposed to public reproach. I knew a young man in Louisville. He went to the orientation of the University of Louisville campus in his first year in college and they said okay we're gonna do some orientation games to get to know everyone everyone for gay marriage line up on this wall everyone against it line up on this wall and he stood there alone public reproach that makes it hard not to drift away you just think i'd like to drift over to that wall I don't want to be outside the camp anymore. I just want to drift over to that wall. 
And some of you are drifting here this morning. The world has temptations to drift. The world offers persecution to help you drift. The world has false teachings that will help you drift. There are wolves we heard about yesterday that break into the flock and want to rip her to shreds and draw her away to false teachings to get her to drift away from God. The cross always makes you feel like a loser and God is the winner. But there are false teachings that will make you both winners. You don't have to feel as bad. God doesn't look as good. But it's a lot easier to believe. And then, of course, the number, one of the number one things that destroys the seed of the Gospel, one of the number one things that keep, makes us drift from the Gospel is just the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. They're just so busy paying the paycheck and taking the kids to soccer that I haven't been in the Word in a month. Not everything that can kill you looks deadly. Our souls can drift from God. Amen? The world wants you to drift from God. And if you do, you will not be saved. That's the third truth. If you drift away, you will not go to heaven. The Bible is clear that salvation comes to us in a moment when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ but those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ truly keep on believing until they die. The elect endure until the end. Let's go back to that word if in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 through 14. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 14. There the writer of the Hebrews says, For we have come to share in Christ. That's what it is to be a Christian. To share in Christ. To share in His destiny. I'm going to heaven. He's going to heaven. He's got the power of God on Him. I've got the power of God on me. I am sharing in Christ if indeed I work really hard. No. The Bible is abundantly clear. You're not going to heaven by working really hard. But we must hold our original confidence firm until the end salvation is not to those who had a religious spasm Spurgeon called them where for a moment they held on to Christ but it's for those who say with Peter where shall we go you alone have the words of eternal life it, it goes to people who hold fast who who won't let go who are faithful until the end who who cannot let go of Christ because they keep sensing their need of grace now back up is that you is that how you see yourself do you see yourself as someone prone to drift you do you see the world as a place that tempts you to drift? Do you see your own flesh pulling you towards drifting? Do you know that if you drift away, you will not be saved? If that's the way you see the world, an overseer is a very precious gift. Someone outside of your soul watching your soul. Someone outside of you 
watching you. Someone while you who are, are, are being allured away by all the siren songs of the world who is tied to the mast and declaring the Word of God to you and calling you to stay in the ship that is on its way to heaven. When you look at yourself like that, then an overseer is a sweet and precious gift. It's not invasive. It's like, get to know me. Ask me questions. It's just, what, let me show you what I got. Let me, let me show, one of the things my co-pastor Jeff King always prays is, Lord, would you just help Ryan believe or help whoever believe that there is grace for the real Ryan. Not the Ryan that he thinks he should be or the Ryan that he wants to be, but for who he is now. You need to know, and pastors will help you know, that there is grace for you as you are. That's so glorious. And when you look at life like that, an overseer is not an invader. An overseer is a shepherd and a friend to your soul. Obey your leaders for they are watching over your soul. And if I could just say one word to Garrett, and to Mason as brothers, and to Charles and Dick as fathers in the faith. Watch your life and your doctrine carefully. Watch your purity. Watch that you hold on to truths of heaven and hell and sin and salvation earnestly. Because if you lose those things, you cannot watch over anyone else's soul. Because your eye's not clear to see what every soul needs. The, the miracle of 40 years of ministry is the miracle of men who are prone to wander, not wandering. And not only not wandering, but watching out that others don't wander. That's incredible. The second reason I would give you to... Um, inflame and encourage your desire to obey and submit to your leaders is they will have to give an account. It's always hard to obey leadership when we think they're getting away with something. It's always hard to obey the government when it feels like it's gone rogue. When it feels like it's not accountable, all the courts aren't accountable to anything, and the president's not accountable to anything, and Congress isn't accountable to anything, and, and it just becomes, it just gets bitter in your soul. You don't want to do what they say. They're not going to be held to account. When you feel like the principal of your school or the boss at work has no accountability and they have just gone, they are just doing things according to their own dictates, it, it, it tempts us towards a bitterness of soul. But we're here reminded your pastors aren't going to get away with anything. They're going to face a stricter account, tells James says. I heard a story, I heard a pastor tell a story of one time at their church they were starting some new initiatives, they were doing some new things, and they went to the congregation to talk to them about it. And I, I imagine a lot of people really liked these things, but one person was kind of nervous. And he walked up to the pastor and he said, you know, I, I don't like what you're doing. Um, but the Bible tells me to trust you. And you're going to be held to account. So I'm going to completely submit to you and follow you. 
I don't know about you, well, I've been a pastor. I am a pastor. When I hear that, I'm like, oh, Lord, I want to do it right now. I want to do it right now. Because that you're being given trust. You want to freak out your husband later today? Just tell him, I am willing to follow you and submit to you in anything. You will watch him get more careful if he's got any ounce of the Spirit of God in him. Same thing is true with leaders. The other thing about this idea of uh, they're going to be held to account is it sort of helps you understand pastors. Sometimes people don't really understand pastors. I was driving in my truck the other day with a, a friend of ours from our church, and he was talking about how one of the leaders of the church kept confronting him about something. He's like, why does he keep doing that? He's just, he just keeps confronting me with this thing. And, I, you know, I, I've told him I'm going to deal with it, and I haven't dealt with it, but he keeps confronting me about it. Why does he keep doing this to me? He was quite distressed about this. And I said, have you ever considered that he would probably like to stop confronting you about it? That it would certainly make his life easier to stop confronting you about it? But that he feels that he cannot stand before the Lord unless he keeps confronting you? about it and pretty soon my friend was on the phone apologizing to the leader in our church and they were in the midst of reconciliation but i tell you all this because sometimes people wonder why do pastors have to get up all in my business why can't they just keep their distance why do they have to push into the details let's talk about modesty and if we're going to be like timothy and peter we'll talk about it in detail Let's talk about your finances. And since we're going to talk about them in a New Testament way, that means we're going to talk about them a lot. Let's talk about secret sins and the motives of the heart. And let's press in on these things. Pastors are not doing this. Godly pastors are not doing this because they are arrogant, egotistical pushy, power-hungry men. Accountable pastors are not arrogant, but humble. Not egotistical, but loving. Not pushy, but obedient. They may look like what our culture says is arrogant, egotistical. Anyone who's got an opinion and wants you to live by it in our culture is called arrogant. But what if you're a man who's going to be held accountable for enforcing God's opinions? And by the way, God doesn't have opinions. He's just got truth. Your pastors are those who are going to be held to an account. Last point. But before he gets your hopes up, there's a lot of applications, which I don't call points because then I have to say there's a lot more points. But there's a last point and then there's applications. Pastors are worth more to you when, when their joy is contagious. They're just, they're just worth more. They just get more done. They will help you more in your spiritual walk if they're happy in Jesus. End of story. It's just, a, it's just an absolute rule of life and ministry 
that if the pastor always and continually feels like he'd rather die, and there have been godly men in the Bible who asked God to kill them because they would have rather died than go on, the simple fact is, when your pastors are full of joy, they just help you a lot more. They help you a lot more. Let them do this. Let them do this, obe- let them do this leading, this watching over your souls, this commanding you. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. I was walking with one of my co-pastors uh, through Home Depot maybe 12 years ago. He and his wife were struggling with infertility. It was not making them at this point soft towards the Lord. It was making them hard towards the Lord. It was making them angry at God. They couldn't understand why they wanted this good thing. Children, the Bible says, be fruitful and multiply. They wanted to be fruitful and multiply. They couldn't multiply to save their lives. And we're walking through Home Depot and he's basically telling me, I want to leave the faith. I want to just go buy a house on the beach in Florida. And just try to live a normal life. Because this whole idea of following God through difficult seasons like this is, is doing me in. Now what happens if at that moment I go, me too? We may both be on the beach in Florida right now. The simple fact is we are all going to come to difficult moments in our faith. All of us. And one of the most precious gifts God can ever give to us in that moment is a pastor who is full of joy, who says, no, 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 no. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Yes, there is, this is hard and weeping is going to last for a night, but there is joy in the morning. And there's just something about somebody else believing it that's like the four friends who lowered their paralyzed friend down into Jesus. A joyful pastor says, you might not have faith right now, but I'm taking you down through the roof to Jesus to see Him. But if you've done everything to undermine your pastor's ministry, everything to make sure there's a nice, humbling email each Monday morning, if you've done everything to undermine him and hurt him, And then all of a sudden you're hospitalized and the man who walks in to comfort you has not got any comfort to bring. You've hurt your own soul. And many people have done that to pastors in the name of biblical faithfulness. They were just trying to help the pastor be biblically faithful by criticizing his every move and making him of no advantage to them. On the other hand, you stoke the fires in your pastor. You encourage your pastor. You generally obey your pastor and follow along in his lead. And you seek to obey the Word of God that he preaches. And you delight in it. And you rejoice with him on how God is using him and how the Spirit is helping the church. You do that. And then you come into crisis and he will be right there full of joy ready to help you out, ready to encourage you. Now here's a few applications. Here's a few applications. And then I really am done. And these range from the incredibly practical 
to the deeply theological. Write notes and give real substantive encouragements to your pastor. And good message doesn't count. Okay? Good message means I cannot think a coherent sentence that amounts to more than two words about what you just said. Not encouraging. I always tell people, what was it that helped you? I don't know. I'm glad that was helpful for you. You've just had someone pour out the studied Word of God onto your soul. You can sit down for five seconds and write an email that relates something that was helpful. Now I tell you what, any pastor on Monday, and, and don't ask 20 questions, because if, if all of you ask 20 here's something that's helpful and here's 20 questions, Charles and Dick will, will die this Monday. It'll just happen just like that. It'll be boom. Oh no, I preach, so I'll die on Monday. But, but a general attitude, I'm going to say something substantive to let them know that I was gleaning from the work. And some, somebody will say, well, that'll make them proud. It does not make you proud. Listen, if you're a good pastor, you're not preaching your own ideas. So someone, when someone comes to you and says, hey, that idea that wasn't yours, it was really helpful to you. It's not making you proud. It's making you rejoice that they love God's Word. Second, and I say I've not talked to any single pastor about this. No one has paid me to do this. Pay your pastors. Pay them. Double honor in 1 Timothy 5 is a financial term to care for your pastor. They won't all be paid evenly. There are all kinds of different factors. But make sure they are cared for. I know that you all find it easy to keep your joy when you're broke. But pastors are different. No, there is a sense in which the people of God should be not reviewing a pastor's salary every 25 years whether he needs it or not. But there should be a regular, constant care to provide for God's man. Now, I think I'm going to spend a little more time on this next point. And I, I had it in my notes, but honestly, my, right, my wife wrote this point during the songs this morning. Um, I believe that men only should preach, but I believe the things my wife whispers into my ear during some services are some of the most spiritual things I've ever heard. And so I'll preach them to you right now. They are men. The most significant thing, one of the most significant things you can do, and I'm talking to children here i'm talking to those of you here 40 years and those who've 10 years the most significant things you can do with your pastor is to realize that they are just a person that they are not cut from another cloth of humanity but they are a finite limited person and that has so many implications it's ridiculous it means that even if they could be with you all the time, every time you needed them, they couldn't satisfy your soul. It would not work. 
even if they could be there as much as you wanted, as often as you wanted, once they showed up that often, they would turn out to be disappointing. Because they are only people. And it also means they can't show up all the time, every time to be with everyone because they are people. And this doesn't make them different than Jesus. This makes them like Jesus. Who would get ministry opportunities and would leave because he simply could not meet all of the needs. That's a stunning thing to say, isn't it? Could not meet all the needs. At one level, that's true. He was a finite man. He needed sleep. He needed a break. He needed to eat. He could not. Jesus limited, he ministered in one very limited geographic area and he moved from town to town and did not spend infinite time, though there would have been many who just wished he'd have stayed one more day. He's, he was limited in that way. Your pastors are limited in gifts. I basically find that the longer I'm in ministry, my tenure in ministry is the joyful discovery of how many things I'm bad at. Preaching, some gifts, administration, no gifts, counseling, uh, moderate gifts, gifts of service. Well, I, I hope I have a servant's heart. Not particularly good at it. There's just all kinds of things that I am bad at. You should expect your pastors to not only be not excellent at everything, but actually bad at some things. And it will be good for you to recognize their sanctified badness at many, many things. Because you were not meant to be built up by a pastor. You were meant to be built up by a body. A body that ministers the presence and the grace of of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, if only my pastor was as hospitable as so-and-so, and if only my pastor made as emotional connections like so-and-so, and if only my pastor could be a mentor like so-and-so, and if only my pastor could be there like so-and-so, and if only my pastor could duck down in a phone booth and come up with an S on his chest and fly off into the sunset with kryptonite in his hand. It's not happening. And the expectation actually diminishes the effectiveness of your pastor. You try living with the expectation of superhumanness for five minutes, ten minutes, ten years, twenty years, thirty years, forty years. I preached at our women's ministry event Friday night before I came. And I said, one of the traps I feel in is that there's, 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 there's always two pushes in me. We got to grow. We got to grow. And it's not just like a church growthy grow. It's like, we want to see the law saved. We want to grow. And then you got, we're getting big. And if you get real big, you can't disciple people. And then the pastor's kind of in the middle like, so what you're saying is it's failure either way. If we grow, we get big. That's what happens when you grow. And when you get big, you have less time. That's what happens when you grow. 
And, and there's no way to keep it perfectly balanced. They couldn't keep it perfectly balanced when the Holy Spirit decided they would boost their church from 120 to 3,000 on the first day. You can see the people going, I remember when we got more time with Peter. He'd be there for the all-night prayer meetings. Now where is he? Preaching all over. At the end of the day, your pastors will 100%, I guarantee it, you can take it to the bank, disappoint you. And I'm not talking like vague, abstract disappoint you. I'm talking like it'll hurt disappoint you. And that's because all pastors can do if they're doing their job well is to point you to the one who will never disappoint you. Paul helped the churches he pastored rely on God by preaching in the power of the Spirit so that their trust would not be in man, but in the power of God. Because at the end of the day, there's only one man who can sustain all the expectations of all of his children. And that's the man, Christ Jesus, who died on the cross to satisfy his children with living water and living bread and who can feed their souls for eternity. He can be there at every moment of every day and he can be infinitely interesting and glorious every minute of every day. And now enthroned in heaven, he needs no sleep and he needs no rest and he lives to make intercession for his people he is the shepherd of the sheep but if you destroy your pastor's joy he won't even be able to point you to that great shepherd and so it's a great thing to honor Chuck and Dick Charles and Dick and Garrett and Mason, whoever else will God will make you. It's also probably a really good thing right now to acknowledge legitimate disappointments that have accumulated over 40 years. And to apply those beautiful words in Ephesians that say that we are to be forgiving one another even as God in Christ forgave us. To apply those beautiful words of Ephesians chapter 4 that says that we are to bear with one another in love. What does that mean? That means that other Christians are the kind of people you have to bear with. Some people like get into their devotions, they pray themselves up, they come up full of the Spirit and they actually rub you the wrong way. Like when they're at their best, they rub you the wrong way. And then you need to be filled with the Spirit and bear with them in love. So now is probably a good time at a 40-year mark to say, okay, what kind of baggage is there that might really undermine the future of Leg Road? What's there? How can I just lay that before the Lord and ask for His forgiveness for me? Remember how He bears with me? Remember His kindness towards me? And then to pray for yourself, that you'd be able to make these men's ministry a joy to care for them, to to spur them on for the next 5, 10, 15 years. And then to pray to God that they would be all that God would have them to be. 
there may be legitimate disappointments, and you can pray for the growth in grace of all of those who are ministering to you. And my goal in all of this is that you would say, yes, I have a positive heart to obey these men. And I want to make their job a joy so that they will be of great and eternal advantage to me. Let's pray. Father, You alone can sustain the church. You alone, by Your Word, are able to build the church up. Lord God, You alone are able to keep the the rifts and the difficulties and the troubles and the insufficiencies and inadequacies and the sins that we bring into the church. You alone are able to keep them at bay, cover them by Your blood, and build up the body of Christ. So we ask You to come today, Lord. We ask You, Lord, to fill Charles and Dick and Garrett and Mason afresh with the power of the Holy Spirit for another season of ministry. We ask You, Lord, to fill the congregation with a spirit of love, joy, forgiveness, patience, bearing with one another in love, and the Spirit's power for their ministry one to another and to their pastors. And we want to ask You, Lord, that You would get all the glory first for being the great shepherd of the sheep and then for equipping Charles and Dick for 40 years along with their precious wives to shepherd the sheep. I want to pray finally for Garrett and Mason, Lord God, that You would give them grace to be good shepherds to be like Timothy's who learned from Paul's. And that, Father, You would just secure Lake Road in the arms of good, godly men for yet another generation to hear Your, your praise and to see Your glory. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.